Father, like the hymn we sang this morning, great and gracious deity, more than this is due to thee. Lord, what we bring before you, Lord, we can only bring because you've placed in our hands. You've given us the gifts, Lord, and one day you'll place the crowns in our hands that we'll just throw back at your feet. And Lord, in even bringing the word this morning, it is nothing more than what you've allowed us to have. You are so good to let us join together as a family this morning. Lord, help us to glean from your word that we might better glorify you today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I, am, I am joyfully coming before you. Uh, in, in brief, this has just been a, a sort of a, a semi-long slash short journey. I, uh, to be to confess to you as my family, I do not like preaching. And it has been, on one hand, I feel the Lord's call in my heart to do so, uh, but I have fought it long and hard. And uh, this past summer, I've been greatly encouraged by brothers who have come to teach at Shiloh, and, and one of them, Leo Galetta, uh, had a long talk with me and uh, really spoke my heart and said, Owen, you can't, the Lord can't steer the rudder unless you put the boat in the water and push it. And so I'm putting my boat in the water and pushing it. And I thank the Lord for my fellow elders who have been an encouragement to me through this time. And with that being said, this morning we will be start our first sermon on the book of Galatians. Or I should say on the, not Galatians, I have it in my head this morning. Because it's our opening verse and because we read it this morning, the Lord just continues to verify. We're going to be in Philemon this morning. And we're going to be there for the next three to four weeks. Uh, so in starting, Paul in Galatians 6, as we heard this morning from our call to worship or our reading of the scripture, tells us, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Paul reiterates this in 1 Timothy chapter 5 where he says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger man as brothers, the older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. When we look at Matthew 18, which we'll look at a, bit, a little bit later, we know the steps of church discipline. But Paul, in exhorting the Gospels, because that's what Paul does, he takes the Gospels, and through his letter, he exposits them to help us understand how to live a Christian life. So when we look at Matthew 18 and church discipline, it is never to be harsh. He teaches us it was to be done without harshness and with compassion, without an overbearing spirit. He tells us again in 2 Timothy, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. As we go into the letter of Philemon this morning, and as we continue to go through it through the next couple, three weeks, we will see that Paul sets an intentional tone early on in this letter as he writes to his friend Philemon. And it's a tone that we're going to see different from any of the other scriptures or letters from Paul. This morning, being that Philemon is only 25 verses, we're going to go ahead and read the entire letter each week so we have the entire context in view. 
because as we look at the first portion, second portion, we want to know what's coming because Paul is setting it up the entire time. So why don't we turn to the letter of Philemon and we'll read it together. Verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but is now useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your, in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also, prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Verse 1 starts off with what we'll call an unusual introduction. Paul here does something which he does not do in any other letter. And we're going to see something that's missing, and we're going to see something that's new here. So first off, what do we see missing? For anyone who has read any of Paul's letters, we know Paul normally introduces himself as an apostle. But here he says he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Ain't most times when Paul introduces himself as an apostle, he's introducing himself with the authority of an apostle, like we see in First and Second Corinthians, when, he, when he's going to be bringing correction to that church. Here, even though we, we are going to see he is bringing a correction to Philemon and a check to his heart, Paul at the same time sets his apostolic authority aside because he's trying to meet Philemon in a place where he normally wouldn't. He's trying to meet him at his heart, and he's trying to also identify with whom he is writing about, that being Onesimus. Secondly, he says he's a prisoner, 
which is desmios, one who is bound or in bonds. And Paul is going to use this twice more in this letter. He never uses this in an introduction elsewhere. So again, Paul, who uses words intentionally, especially knowing the Holy Spirit is guiding him, the Holy Spirit is intentionally using words in this letter. So this, this prisoner that he says, and continuing on knowing this is a Tonia setting, Paul says he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Who does he not say he's a prisoner of? He's not a prisoner of the Jews. He's not a prisoner of Rome. He's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now keep in mind, this is one of four prison epistles. Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon. So he, we know he is truly in prison. But at the same time, he doesn't refer to himself as that kind of prisoner. I'd like us to go over to Acts chapter 20. If you would turn with me there. Acts chapter 20, we're going to look at verses 17 through 24. And we read there in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, be, now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit te solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and affliction await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. So before any man had bound him, who truly had bound him? The Holy Spirit had bound him, as we see here in verse 22. Before anyone had put him in chains, the Holy Spirit had bound him. The result, as we see in verse 23 to 24, it says that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies that bonds and affliction await him. So in the Holy Spirit binding him to God's will, he knows that bonds and affliction are coming to him. Yet, Paul does not flinch. His desire is to do that which Jesus Christ has ordained him to do, even if bonds and affliction come. Why? Because he does not consider his life of any account as dear to himself. He desires to finish his course. He desires to finish the ministry which he received from the Lord Jesus. What is that? To testify of the grace of God. So his binding was far before chains were upon his body. Let's turn over one chapter to chapter 21. We're going to look in verses 10 through 14. As we are staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we had heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? 
for I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. So first, three things that we should note as we look at these two scriptures here, and especially this last one. What are we seeing immediately when we look at Agabus coming and talking and speaking what the Lord's will is going to happen? We see the foreknowledge of God in the events of man. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 says, For I am God and there is no other. I, I am God and there was no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. What is God's good pleasure? Already seen in me and testified by Agabus, God's good pleasure is that Paul would continue to testify and then bonds would await him and are coming to him. Secondly, what do we see here? Paul's acceptance of what the Lord has made clear. What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am not only ready to be bound, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul is ready to follow through on what he understands God's will is for him as a bound member of Christ's church, bound by the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, what is the effect on those around him? First, what is the beginning effect? They begged him not to go. Don't go there. But because of his testimony, because of his understanding of his walk with Jesus Christ and allowing him to be bound by the, by the Spirit of God, because of what he said to them, why are you weeping? What is their effect afterwards? The will of the Lord be done. The testimony of a believer in desiring to do what God's will for their life is, it will affect the body of Christ around them. And like we said earlier, Paul exposits Jesus' words. But also, we are to imitate Christ, and Paul said to imitate him even as he imitates Christ. And what did Jesus say? He said, thy will be done. Jesus said, not as I will, but your will be done. And what did Jesus do? He himself was willing to go and die. Paul follows this example, and in an example for us as well. The message to Philemon from Paul, as he starts off this introduction, as he says, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, is that a willing servant does what the master calls. A willing servant goes beyond convenience, beyond comfort, beyond pleasure. He does what his master says to do. Please turn with me back to Philemon. The second half of the sentence in verse 1 says, And to Timothy, our brother. Timothy is, of course, introduced by, by Paul in five other letters. And we know that he is considered a true child in the faith to Paul. We're not going to go much more to Timothy because this, this letter is not about Timothy. But because we want to exposit verse by verse, we, we can't skip over that. But we do want to know, what does he call Timothy? He says, Timothy, our brother. So we want to just take that, and we're going to put that aside for now, because that's going to come in as we go further down this letter. Continuing into verse 1, the rest of verse 1 into verse 2, we're going to see an unusual address. So we've looked at the unusual introduction. Now we're going to see the unusual address. He says, To Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. 
Philemon is only mentioned in this letter. In fact, within this letter, this is the only time his name is ever mentioned. But it's important for us to remember, important for us to realize that although this is the only time he's mentioned, Philemon is not insignificant. He's, he's not, you know, sometimes we say, well, it's a small letter, it's a small person. We, we don't have to give as much time and attention to this. And one thing that, that and I was thinking about this, what caught my attention or came to my mind, uh, for many of you, I don't know if anybody remembers Norm Evans when he was here. Anybody remember Norm Evans? Oh, a couple, three, okay. Well, Norm Evans was an interim pastor here, and I truly believe the Lord brought him to remind us what grace was. Uh, for a while after he was pastor, I'd visit him in Morrisville, and I visited him in Manoa, and got to know him. And uh, he wrote a book called Muddy Shoes. Did anybody read his book, Muddy Shoes? Two, three, okay, four. And in reading the book, again, I was a, a much more immature believer than I am now, and uh, hopefully. And I read the book, and I had been visiting him for some time and getting to know him. But when I read the book, again, just I'm putting myself on display, my immaturity in the little thank you notes, I wasn't in there. And I thought to myself, I'm his friend, and I'm not in this book. But as I continue to read the book, the Lord continued to open up this man's life. I think we have a copy in the library. If you have a chance to read it, it is amazing. As a racetrack champion and going all over the place and meeting stable boys and meeting jockeys and sharing the gospel with all these people, the amount of people he knew was beyond comprehension. And yet the Lord had graced me, had shown me such kindness to let me know this man and spend time with him. And he blessed me with, with a... Jameson Fawcett Brown commentary that belonged to his father, Harold Evans. It was, it was the first commentary I had, and it started me on the road to study in the same way as I was just a small part of Norm Evans's life. But in God's grace, he let me come within the circle of his friendship. And by God's grace, Paul brought Philemon for just a short span of time to be graced with a letter like this for his growth. So Philemon is by no means insignificant in the story that Paul writes throughout all his travels. But sometimes in the sovereignty of God, because we are family, because he draws us all together, sometimes we, we, we don't want to miss those minutes when we meet someone and they speak to our life. We don't want to dismiss them because it's God working within us for each other's good. And because of this, Paul calls Philemon what? My beloved, in some versions may read beloved brother, brother, which is just for clarification, he says he's his beloved and fellow worker. And this beloved, this agapetos, with that keyword agape in it, it's the same word that, that the father used when Jesus came up out of the water. This is my beloved son. When the, when the disciples came and said there's, there's believers in Antioch, and they sent in the, in the apostles in Jerusalem, sent Paul and Barnabas up to Antioch to see what was going on and, and to deliver this letter. He said, we are, they, they wrote in the letter, we are sending our beloved Paul and Barnabas. Such a term for, of affection for a man we just see once in one small letter. And then he says, my fellow worker. And Paul uses this extensively in his letters, but it signifies that he knows and understands that Philemon is working in the gospel alongside him. Even though if you look at a map, they're 1,300 miles away from where Paul's writing in Rome to where Colossae is, where Philemon's church is. So I want you to notice 
we, we, these words that the Holy Spirit through Paul is stacking one on top of another. Prisoner, brother, beloved, fellow worker. The Holy Spirit is being so deliberate with these words because all of these will come into play as we go further on down the letter. Each one will carry weight to Philemon. Verse 2, And to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Now, Aphia, again, she's not mentioned anywhere else in the scriptures. Depend on your version, it says either our sister or our beloved. It just depends on the Greek manuscript that your, your translation is taken from. Nothing is known from her. But, depend on your commentary, some believe, in, and I did when I first read it, was, okay, I see Philemon, I see Aphia, I see Archippus. Well, sounds like a family, right? We got dad, we got mom, we got son. But I just want to take you through a couple, three verses just to make sure we just don't make our judgment calls right off the bat, but we see what else Paul may have said to, to give us a clear idea of who this person is. Let's go to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. And we'll look at verses 3 through 5, and this will be the first of three verses we'll look at, and I'm not going to explain them all until we get through them all. Verse 3, Romans 16, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risk their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the churches in their house, and we'll stop there. Okay, so we have Prisca and Aquila and the church in their house. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 16. We're going to look at verse 19. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. And lastly, 2 Timothy 4.19. which reads, Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Anisphorus, which I mispronounced. Two things to consider as we looked at these three verses in the context of looking at Aphia and wondering who is she. See how Paul links those who are married. Three times Paul consistently links two people side by side with each other. Now you might say to yourself, well, Philemon is being addressed for a specific purpose in this letter. True, but then we go on, if we're back in Philemon, we go back down and it says, and to the church in your house. Both times that Paul spoke about Prisca and Aquila, both times he said, and the church and their house. But here, Paul uses the singular personal pronoun, and it says the church in your house, referring back to the first person in the letter. So, take it as you want to your own study. I, I invite you to please study on your own. I would say Aphia is not his wife, okay? So then who is Aphia if it's not his wife? We can assume immediately she's a sister in the Lord as she's part of this letter and because she's involved in this group as a part of the church. Because Paul mentions her from such a distance in a letter spoken specifically to a man in a letter of correction, we can assume that she's a woman of note, that she has been instrumental within this church we can also say that this infers her Christian testimony and diligence within the Colossian church. 
And we'll go later on in, I think, Sermon 3, looking at the connections between Philemon and Colossians. But we can say that she has at least a, de- a good testimony and has diligence within the Colossian church to be involved in this letter. And she may be of a character like we see in Romans 16, where Paul mentions several women, Phoebe, the helper or patron of, John, of Paul, who helped supply his needs, Mary, who Paul says worked hard, and Tryphena and Tryphosa, who he says are workers in the Lord. So again, there's only three people mentioned by name. We can infer that she is a diligent Christian who Paul felt needed to be listed in this letter. Now we go move to Archippus. He's listed as a fellow soldier. What can we learn about him? This term, fellow soldier, and I won't turn there just for time's sake, it's only listed here in Philippians 2.25. In Philippians 2.25 it reads, But I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and, my, and minister to my need. So we know immediately just from reading that, that Epaphroditus, as a fellow soldier, was a servant who cared for the needs of the saints. And servant, not in a, not in a slave sense, but in a diakono sense, a servant of the Lord. He was willing to serve the other saints. But if we were to go to 2 Timothy 3 through 4, again, if you want to go there, it's fine. I, I have it written in my notes. Paul writes, suffer hardship with me, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangled himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. So who is Archippus? From what we see previous about Epaphroditus, what we see about a soldier of Christ in 2 Timothy, he's one who would suffer hardship, he's one who would minister to others, He's one who would keep himself from the affairs of the world. He's focused on service to Christ. And with the help of these scriptures, we can see that by him being called a fellow soldier of Christ or a fellow soldier, that's high esteem from Paul. Paul looked at this man with respect as a Christian, as a fellow believer. But I do want us to turn over to Colossians chapter 4 for a moment. Colossians chapter 4 sort of makes us stop in our, in our steps after hearing all this, where Paul writes in Colossians 4, 17, he says, Say to Archippus, take heed of the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may, have, that you may fulfill it. Take heed of the ministry. There's no need to say take heed unless someone is not yet taking heed. We see this, this word, take heed, and you don't have to turn to these sections. Jesus in warning his listeners of the false Christ to come, but take heed. Behold, I have told you everything in advance. Jesus speaking of his return, take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. Acts 13, when uh, Paul's warning, uh, preaching the gospel at Antioch, therefore take heed, take heed, so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Again, there's no need to take heed. There's no need to even say those words unless there needs to be an emphasis on something that he should be doing. So for Archippus, who is yet called a fellow soldier, in what, we, what may be a letter that's sent at the same time in the hands of Tychicus and, and uh, Onesimus, 
we learn from, again, we'll see later in Colossians, these letters may have traveled at the same time to this church in Colossae. So on one hand, he says he's a fellow soldier. On the other hand, he says, take heed. So this, Archippus gives us encouragement because oftentimes we too, when we receive a calling, or we are told to do something, do we hesitate when our Father has opened the door for us to do something? Or at times when we know we could be doing something, are we convicted or even become angry when the Lord is speaking to our heart that we should be serving in such a way? Are we struggling even in the ministry God has given us, or are we lacking in diligence in that which God has given us? If we're a teacher, are we taking the time to study? If we're in the music group, are we taking time to practice? If we're supposed to be calling or ministering to others, are we taking that time and setting other things aside? Yet Paul calls him a fellow soldier. To look at Archippus is to be exhorted to move forward, to keep doing what the Lord has called you to do. As Paul says, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all peoples, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Galatians 6 again. So we are to move forward, brothers and sisters, and that which the Lord has called us to do, first for our brothers and sisters in church, and then to the community. The scriptures we know have said, clearly, each of us is given a gift for the building up of this body. Are you using the gift God has called you to do? Move forward, brethren. Lastly, Paul says, the church is in your house. Now, this word is ecclesia. We're not going to go knee-deep into that, but it means assembly, and in this context, church. But the interesting thing here is, in this, in this address, this unusual address, is that here, Paul changes or he actually uses the singular personal pronoun like we talked about earlier. He says, the church in your house pointing back to Philemon. This is important. We're going to see something about this here shortly. So looking at this, all of this tells us right now that Philemon is in some kind of leadership or at least in a respectful, pers- in a respectful position because the entire church is in his house. The church leaders would not put the church in his house if he was disreputable, not above reproach, or an unbeliever. So he holds some form of leadership. So we open this sermon by reading the entire letter, and we know that Paul will be making an appeal for Anisimus later on. So why this introduction, unusual introduction and unusual uh, address? None of Paul's letters open up to an individual and then open up to the entire church. Yet the Holy Spirit does so for some reason. So we have to ask ourselves why. So there's two points we want to make in view of the appeal that Paul is going to make. Number one, again, Paul is a leader in the church. We're going to see a personal plea from Paul for Philemon's slave Anisimus to send him back to Paul to forgive many debt, to possibly even do more than he said. We know elders and deacons are supposed to be above reproach. And for that matter, those qualifications except to teach are for all the congregation to be above reproach. But specifically for these two, in light of who Philemon is, this above reproach would include forgiveness and reconciliation. So Paul's appeal to Philemon is to the heart of a church leader, to the heart of a brother. 
That's number one. Number two, we want to look at in view of this appeal, like G.K. Beale states in uh, one of the commentaries I studied, he writes, since they are all part of the same family, the whole church family, brothers, sisters, beloved ones, need to be addressed. Unforgiveness by Philemon in respect to Onesimus will affect everyone in this church. And really, in truth, unforgiveness by any church member affects the entire church. So you see the lengths that Paul has gone so far in just bringing the entire church into this letter for Philemon. And lastly, I do want to turn over to Matthew 18 now, if you'd go there with me. As a reminder, we're just going to read verses 15 through 17. If your brother sins, verse 15, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. You notice in verse 17 what it says here. If he does not listen to them, take it to the church. Paul knows the Gospels. Paul is bringing this situation between Philemon and Onesimus before who? He is bringing it before the entire church. We don't have any other testimony beyond this, but we know Paul would follow the scriptures. So there's a possibility that Philemon may have already heard of from Paul or other believers within his own church concerning this matter with Onesimus. In bringing the entire church, of course, there's accountability. And of course, that's the catchword for, for today. You know, I am an accountability partner. We need to be accountable. But I would instead inject the word love instead of accountability. The church is to lovingly come around Philemon with Paul to ask a brother to consider his heart. There's a similar situation in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, and I'll just read it. Paul writes there, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. But if any has caused you sorrow, he has. But if any has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree, in order not to say too much to all of you. Sufficient for such a one is the punishment which was inflicted by the majority, so that on the contrary you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. God's correction for believers, whether it be Matthew 18 or even a correction from one believer to other in the first step of Matthew 18, is always in the direction of reconciliation. It's always directed and controlled, or should be, by the love we have for one another. Paul is calling all within the church in Philemon's house to be part of the process which Philemon is about to enter into. Everyone is being called alongside of Philemon. And it's no different in the church today. When we look to correct, 
we follow Matthew 18, but we always do so with a desire for love and a desire for reconciliation within the church. And all the church, their desire should be reconciliation as well. We're going to move into verse 3, where we're going to see Paul's specific greeting. Paul says in verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Ellicott's commentary says that grace is the peculiar state of favor with God and Christ into which the sincere Christian is admitted. Peace is the state of mind resulting from that sense of favor. So part of us, we read these first couple verses and we say, wow, there's so much in them. But then it looks like Paul just takes his rubber stamp and goes, and there's his grace and peace to you. But in this context, it's a specific greeting. Paul, again, remember, has added each person and then the church in this letter. He ended it with, and the church in your house, single person pronoun. Now Paul says, grace to you and peace. This, P, this you is plural. This you is to the entire church. With the understanding of the coming situation, Paul speaking to the church, why does he do this? Because Philemon, the local church leader, or one of them, is being appealed to by the leader of the entire Gentile church. Philemon will need God's grace and peace. The church around him who has been called to witness this is witness to this. And they're also witness to Philemon's reaction. The church, too, will need God's grace and peace. This will affect them all. We'll finish with a specific thankfulness in verse 4. Paul says, I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers. Now remember, first we had the church in your house, and Paul widens out the angled lens, and then now he's talking to the whole church, desiring grace and peace to them. But sort of like on a stage, the wide-angle lens is taken off, and the, the narrow lens is put back on, and the focus is back in Philemon. The you here, I think my God always making mention of you in my prayers, is the single-person pronoun. Paul has now taken the entire attention and put it back on Philemon in front of the witnesses. The camera's on, the light is shining directly on him, and the focus is on this man, and really his whole focus is on what he's about to hear. The Holy Spirit, through Paul, is about to perform his work. And, on and this work on Philemon, depend on his reaction, has the potential to affect all of the believers around him. And this is where we'll end for this week. So why is this important? Why go into such detail over a list of names in four verses? Why take this time? When we look at this and understand in the context of the scriptures, in the context of what we know about salvation, this is the testimony of lives transformed, whether it be Philemon, Archippus, Aphia, and the believers in the church. These are lives transformed by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's important for us to understand and to see that without the cross, there's no need for Paul to write this letter. There's no need for the spiritual growth of Philemon. 
and there's no need for reconciliation between master and slave. In Christ and because of his sacrifice, we care for one another, just as they, they do in this letter. Only in Christ would Paul send back Onesimus to his master. Only in Christ would a slave willingly go back to his master. Let that sink in for a minute. Paul directs Onesimus to go back to his master where he was a slave. In Christ is the church, and by his spirit, as Paul said in his sermon on Mars Hill, in him we live and move and exist, for we are also his children. In Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 18 is a reality. But now God has placed the, mem- it placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. You and I, if we truly know Jesus Christ and understand the scriptures, understand that we are sitting in these pews because of the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. He is the one who has placed you here, not by your power or your strength or your decision. Your Father put you in that seat. Your Father has taken special note of you, each one of you by name, and determined that it is here with this family that you are to grow and help others grow. All the people we mentioned today are unrelated. Think about that. Unrelated. Yet all their lives are intricately connected through one thing. They are family because of Jesus Christ. Each one accepted Jesus Christ's death as their only payment for their sin. Each one gave their lives to a risen Savior. So two questions we want to ponder as we leave today. First and foremost, are you a member of the Christian family? I'm not talking about membership within this church. I'm asking if you've come to a knowledge of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. If you come to a point where you know that you are sinful, that you are condemned by God, yet he has sent his son for your salvation because he desires you to be in heaven with him. Have you repented? Have you turned away from the life you have lived and asked Jesus to be your payment for your sin that God has given? If you, if you don't understand that or you want to know more, I'd encourage you to meet with myself or Barney or one of the other brethren in here. And don't wait another day because you have never been promised another day. Secondly, for the rest of us sitting here, who believe in Christ, these people, Paul, Aphia, Achippus, Philemon, and Isthmus, are all family to us. And because of their love for Christ, all learning to grow in one another in the Colossian church, we have an example for ourselves. So the question is, when you walk out these doors, these three or four or five, whichever one you choose to walk out, before you put the, your hand on the handle, Have any of the brethren within this church, besides your close relatives and friends, have any one of them been affected by your love in Christ for them? Do they know that you care for them? Paul was confident enough within the Colossian church to bring these named people in the entire body around a man who's about to be convicted, who's about to be sort of held against the wall, 
and have to make a choice to follow Christ in his decision or his own desires. Each one of us are to love one another. The Colossian church and these people you read this morning are your example and mine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is precious indeed. And Father, I pray for myself first and for all of us, Lord, that you would cause us to go down deep and help us to ponder, am I serving? Am I helping? Am I an encouragement to my brothers and sisters in this church? Or am I just an attender? Lord, show us to be more like Christ. Show us how, not on our terms, Father, But as we saw with Paul, help us to be bound by the Holy Spirit to do your will at all costs to ourself, laying down everything for the message of Jesus Christ, and in that, the encouragement of the brethren. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord, and use us for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.